0: restaurant unstoppable episode nine hundred and
1: forty seven with ford fry how can this be better you know hey we made it better yesterday how can we make it better today so i look at everything it's like how can we make it better so every day is always changing there's never we're we're never there we've never landed it's always how can we be better are you ready for it? it factors success stories failures, and bombs of restaurant
0: industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatori in and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode's made possible by Pop Menu. Restaurants have been hit hard over the last few years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever. Ever trying to meet the demands of in person hospitality can be a challenge, which is why I recommend pop menu answering. Pop menu answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like, Can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system within the pop menu platform. You can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, and even send follow-up links via text message pop menu answering picks up your phone 24, seven 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off the first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about pop menu's full collection of tools at pop menu backslash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by restaurant systems pro and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot Outfit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com/rsp. That's rsp for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com/rsp. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder of Rocket Farm Restaurants, Chef Ford. Fry, my man, Chef Ford, are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having
0: me, brother. Oh, man. Thank you so much for making time. This is a really exciting conversation. So many people just... In town this past le- week, asking who am I talking to? Are you going to be able to talk to Ford Fry? <laughs> yes, we are. Matt Swift called you out uh, about six months ago, saying if you're going to go to Atlanta, you got to talk to Ford Fry. I love oh, what cool. this guy is doing. And uh, I think you 13 concepts, 19 total locations. I, I kind of got a little lost. In Something to like picture. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, amazing stuff. You started in 2007, and here you are today. And I'm sure you've gone through so much evolution as a restaurant tour, your restaurant group has probably gone through so many evolutions and advanced and grown in so many different ways. There's no way we're going to be able to touch on all these concepts and go deep into all these concepts. So I'm just going to focus on you and rocket farms to figure out like what that evolution has looked like. But yeah. before we dive into who you are and how you got to where you are, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or
1: mantra. What do you got for us? All right. Um, you know, this started back at the first restaurant where fine or it's fine is not fine. Um, that came to me when we were getting started before we even opened. Someone said to me, uh, oh, it's fine. Come on, let's go check it off. Check it's it off enough. the list. It's good enough. Yeah. Fine is not fine. It's mm-hmm. gotta be right. You know, um, I'd say if I live, you know, in every day, um, I'm going through life, it is, I would walk in the kitchen and it's like, how, how, how can this be better? You know, Hey, we made it better yesterday. How can we make it better today? So I look at everything. It's like, how can we make it better? So every day is always changing. There's never, we're, we're never there. We've never landed. It's always, how can we be better? Yeah. So that's, that's Th- it.
0: That's a theme I've been trying to echo here internally at restaurant Stoppable too. It's just 1% better
1: yeah, every day. Like, absolutely. I mean,
0: it doesn't have to be perfect today, but as long as we're doing it better every day, because sometimes like you're you can't achieve what your vision is today. Right. You right. Have, we have visions. but Sometimes right. we don't have the resources yeah. to achieve that vision today. But as long as it's an <laughs> aiming point, as long as we're getting one step closer to that every day, you'll get there. Yeah. And, um, awesome way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? I know that you're from Texas, correct? Yeah. Know you went to the uh, Culinary Institute of uh, New England. Yeah, Vermont. New England Culinary yeah. Institute. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm from New England. I love it up there. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't stay. It's beautiful. Uh, but from there you went and you were traveling all over doing the fine dining thing. Yeah, I know you had a little stint as uh, a, a corporate chef, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what brought you to Atlanta. But where? when did you know that this was going to be your path? This is what you wanted
1: to do. You know, definitely when I went to culinary school. I mean, I'd never cooked before. I didn't grow up in the era of uh, the chef TV. There was definitely, you know, some shows out there like Galloping Gourmet or um, there's these, you know, different little silly shows that it wasn't cool. A chef wasn't necessarily cool back when, I mean, I'm aging myself here, but, <laughs> but, but, I mean, uh, but, you know, and I always thought like, you know, the restaurant manager wearing the double breasted suit and all that was the cool job. And I was a horrible bus boy. I was a horrible server. Um, I went to culinary school because I saw, I got a brochure that had a a guy skiing down the mountain in Stowe and I'm like, I'll go to that school so I can (laughs) ski, you know? So then when I, then I started cooking, I'm like, okay, so I figured out, I knew I loved food. Uh, I knew I loved the experience of restaurants. Um, and that was, I mean, day one was just like, I, okay, this is, I knew I was going to get into the restaurant industry. I just didn't know I was going to get in through the back door. And that was it.
0: Yeah. So what do you mean by the back door? The, the back
1: of the house? The kitchen. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: so what was it at uh, the Culinary Institute? Of, am I saying it backwards again? Necky. Just Necky. call it Necky. Call it Necky. Necky. There That's you go. That's right. Thank you. Uh, what was it about Necky or who was it about Necky that really helped you fall in love with this?
1: Necky was about... Um, the chef, <laughs> uh, Robert was his name. Uh, this, uh, French guy, just awesome. He's still up in Vermont too. And, um, he, there was a, okay. Nikki is, it was, is the type of school where I was at Essex campus, where it's the second semester and we actually ran the end. So it was, a, it was a job, you know, we paid to go do this job. We paid to clean the kitchens. We paid to, uh, tweak equipment. We paid to wash the dishes. And, but this chef and the, you know, I had no idea, you know, when I was, I never cooked before. Um, and I went there and we had this opening banquet. Okay. And chef Robert had this, uh, he, he gave a little speech and he's like, I'm sure you guys are wondering what you're going to be when you graduate from culinary school. And I'm like, no, I'm not wondering. I'm going to be an executive chef when I graduate culinary school. And he says, what you're going to be is you're going to be a cook. You're going to be a cook for a long time and you're going to make maybe $7 an hour. And then maybe you'll be a sous chef and you'll be a sous chef for a long time. And was this just, the last day? This is the first day. I was going to say, why didn't he tell you this on the first day? But I'm so happy. No, 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 no. It's it on, on the thing. first day and we go home and we're just like, what did I just sign up for? I signed up to be poor the rest of my life and, but he was so right. Yeah. He was so right, you know? And it's like, I'm so thankful for that first opening speech, uh, you know, for the rest of my, I just, it's, I, I didn't have a good work ethic, you know, going into culinary school. So that just, it just instantly gave me, I mean, I maybe overworked myself, but like we all did back then, but right. that's what it was.
0: Man, um you reminded me of when I was in squad. I was a commercial pilot before I oh, wow. resigned and when I was twenty six. And they said, look to your left, look to your right. And this is the first day of orientation in the auditorium. Look to your left, look to your right. They're not gonna be here when you graduate. Mm. And like I think it's so important that we, we almost try to talk people out of things because we can get bright eyed and dreamy when we're young and we think we know what we want to do, but we need that slap across the face. You know that like, Hey, this is the reality of the situation. Do you want to do this? Do you want to commit the next three or four years of your life going to school to do this and spend the money to do this? Because (laughs) when you get out, like, you know, like you, you got to take it seriously. And I think it's, it's an, I, I honestly hope that I, I talk more people out of opening restaurants by, t- by doing this podcast yeah. than then I do in helping people actually be successful in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? What goes through your mind as I say
1: that? Uh, <laughs> I, I was, when I was first going through my partnership agreement uh, with my financial partner, I had our, 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 uh, outsourced CPA look at the, my, my partnership agreement. And I said, Hey, how does this look? How does my percentage look? Does this look normal? And he said, Ford, first of all, I don't know why anyone invests in restaurants and they, they never make money anyway. So it's just like, I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm going to lose my brother-in-law's money, you know, on this restaurant. So, oh my gosh. Uh, so I'm actually,
0: I'm cheating over here. You, sh- you mentioned Chef Robert's name and he was one of my first ever, um, interviews. Um, is this spelled B A R R A L? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Chef Robert. Episode yes. twelve.
1: No way. And To give you perspective, no I think
0: you're going to be like episode nine hundred and forty or something. Oh my and gosh! You guys should go check out that episode because he's such a he, he's just a gem.
1: He's a great. He's dude. awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. So you graduate. Uh. You know. Like, was he right? were you cooking? Were you a line cook for a long time? Before? You know,
1: I got. You know, I did get promoted a little bit early, but I called him on the phone. I said, "Chef, they want to promote me to sous chef." He's like, "Ford, don't take it." And he was right. But I took it anyway. Why was he so, right? I wasn't ready. I didn't cook long enough. How long were you cooking when you got this? Maybe summertime? a year and a half. Yeah. Where were you? I was at the Ritz Carlton in Houston. Okay. I just had a I worked, I worked 40 hours on the clock and I worked 40 hours off the clock. Maybe more than that. Just that was back in the day. That's, but that's what I wanted to do. It wasn't because they told me to. It just, it, it, it i learned more it was i mean being a chef is more about hours in the kitchen and hours cooking and i just added more hours in my year you know and that's kind of how it was so he said don't take it you took it anyway took it anyway putting yourself
0: in his position then when he said what what was why do you think he was telling you you said you weren't ready but specifically what weren't you ready
1: i think i think more more years under my belt as cooking i mean a cooking just takes so much more than a year or two to really get everything down it's like anybody in a profession like my son you know one of my sons plays tennis for auburn and it's about the hours it's about hours on the court you know it's not about just reading something and learning something it's actually about doing something which you know before i went to culinary school wall street journal put out a you know this is what got my dad to encourage me to go to culinary school he said it was a fast track career absolutely not a fast track career, you know, it is a long career and long, hard work. And, um, so, you know, I I did, it it was fine, you know, that for me to, to take that advancement because I just kind of popped right into kind of leadership. I still got to cook and, but, he was kind of right, you know, more cooking, you know, uh, would have been, would have been a little bit better, but it kind of catapulted me. And we'll probably get into that a little bit later of ultimately what I love doing. And what I love doing is more of the, uh, the production of a restaurant. Like, you know, yes, it's mainly around the food, but I love all aspects of it. And I feel like that's what I've kind of graduated into over think, a chef kind of thing. Yeah.
0: And, and I mean, I think it's safe to say that's kind of what you're known for is, is just yeah. developing these, these, yeah these concepts that just yeah. have lasting power. They just stick. Yeah. They, they juxtapose Like they, they, they stand out. Right. Mm. Um, but you're, you're reminding me of, uh, the book outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 mm. hours. It takes 10,000 hours to be a master. And that's kind of what Jeff, yeah. uh, uh, I'm gonna say his name wrong because uh, I'm visualizing the B A R R E. Is it Burrell? Bit, Robert Burrell. Burrell. That's how you, that's, that's how you would think it's pronounced. Oh. <laughs> but I think you're saying it right, but he's right. Like you got to put the hours, in. you have to grow. The things that you're gonna be teaching people the rest of your life need to be hardwired into you. You yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, so there's huge lessons there. So, um, so you went back home after you graduated. Uh, you're in Houston. Is that where you grew up, Houston? Yeah. yeah. And then I, I see that you were in Florida, uh, Colorado, California, doing fine dining in all these, mm-hmm. these locations. Mm-hmm. Um, were you, when you left Houston, you were a Sioux. Um, was the next opportunity a Sioux executive? Do you have to take a step uh, back? Sue. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what what made you leave? Were you looking to leave?
1: I was following my, my girlfriend at the time, moved to Aspen, and had to follow her. So that's why <laughs> I left. And I love. Colorado. Well, what a great place to go to cook, yeah. though. Yeah, so yeah.
0: Much. When was this? Do you mind putting a timestamp on this? God, that had to have been like in 94? 94? Okay. 93, so think, 94? Yeah. Aspen was kind of burgeoning around this time, yeah. right? Growing yeah, real yeah. fast, lots of opportunity. Um, Any of these stops along the way, you said so I know you were in Aspen, so I was Colorado. Was it Florida or California after?
1: Uh, Florida was first. Naples, oh, okay. Florida was like my first internship okay. out of school. And then and then I went to Houston, then Aspen, and then I got. Uh, we were working for the Crown family, who out of Chicago, um, I think they own the Chicago Bulls, stuff like okay. that. They own the Aspen Skiing Company, um, and the resorts out there. And, and that's when you were in Colorado. That was when yeah. I was in Colorado, and the leadership team, uh, the food and beverage director and general manager moved to Ojai, California, and then brought me out to Ojai, which is inland from, uh, you know, the Ojai Valley Inn and Spa. And we were kind of the team to take it from kind of dilapidated, you know, old school hotel-y type food to more restaurant quality food, uh, and then eventually into a spa. And now it's even, it's even gotten even farther. Now I can't. I'd love to go back, but that was in uh, right outside, you know, north of LA. So,
0: so all these stops along the way, you know, Florida, back home, Colorado, California. Where do you think you grew the most as a professional chef?
1: Honestly, I think it was in Atlanta as a corporate chef. When when did you get to Atlanta? 98, I'd okay. say. Okay, so yeah. you were here for almost 10 years before you broke
0: off. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, yep. so all these stops were between basically like 94 and 98, four years. You were like, yes. So why is it important to get that type of perspective and to move around a lot in the early years?
1: Yeah. Uh, because I think each town, uh, chefs and restaurants are kind of inbred a little bit where they're, they're, they're bouncing around and they're all kind of doing the same thing. So you really have to get to another area of the country to see really dramatic, different things and, and different focuses. And, and, um, I, I, you know, California was huge on ingredients, you know? Um, so you know, that was basically it. I mean, and still that even, even to this day, traveling around eating in restaurants, you see more differences when you go to different areas of the country.
0: Yeah. I can't remember who said it. It was a recent quote in the show, but if you're not learning, you're not growing. I think it was actually Jonathan yeah. uh, from uh, Fox Bros barbecue. We just talked to I'm wearing in the hat right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're not, if you're not learning, you're not growing and you, you need to get that perspective in your career? What is the good number in your mind? Uh, because there's, there's getting a perspective and moving around, but then there's also moving around too fast. So what's that balance look like for you?
1: Oh, wow. for so there's like many years working. Yeah. A certain Cause place. you know, if,
0: if somebody's young listening to this, like, Oh, I'm going to go here, here, here and here. But you do want to give yourself that perspective, but you also want to give the restaurant that's training you. Yeah. Yeah. Some, you know, they, they they're investing in you. They want to yeah. get that ROI. So what's that balance look like in your opinion? I,
1: you know, it really depends. I you mean, know, you know, obviously I was, everyone always used to say a year for sure. Um, a lot of the upper French laundries and things like that of the world are probably, you know, and more in the two year type of two, type of range. Um, I think as long as you're really, you're still learning, uh, but there's a minimum. So put it in a year and a half, you know, as a minimum, but if you're still learning, stay. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but. Yeah. And that's early in your career. As you get old, as you move up, I would say a little bit longer as yeah. well.
0: If you do less than a year, this is a small, that's industry. bad. Yeah. People are going to start to
1: talk and you won't get
0: those opportunities because yeah. they know that they're going to not get their ROI on you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so w- during this evolution going through cooking around, did you carve out like a niche as far as a, a chef? Was there a type of cuisine that you were truly passionate about?
1: No, not at all. I mean, everyone always says that I would say, as time goes on, um, at least the last 10, 15 years, I have really strayed away from interesting food, and I'm more passionate about uh, ingredient-driven Delicious food, yeah. Than interesting food, if that and, makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I think you also kind of laid it out there earlier when you said that I I realized that my passion wasn't in necessarily cooking the food as much as it was building the concept, building yeah. the brand. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, was there any? We often hear that you can learn just as much about what not to do as mm-hmm. far as what to do, and not dragging any names or restaurants into the the lessons. But were there any lessons you learned as far as what not to do?
1: I'd say the biggest lesson I, cause you, you can notice from like, I, I'm, that's one thing I do. I always look at other people and I watch, you know, and I try to learn what not to do. Uh, and one of the biggest ones is I, you'll know, and you hear, and you talk to people in the industry, but if, if an owner of a restaurant or whatever treats their staff, um, like a tool, okay. Like then as opposed to an asset there, uh, it, disseminate it it filters down in such a negative light and and that that extends it. So that that comes out to the guest the guest sees that um and that comes from the top so what what i learned was hey I, I our staff is our biggest asset you know what i mean or what's
0: the difference between an asset and a tool
1: a tool is someone that you can just throw away and get another tool you know, an asset is someone that you value. Um, that you, um, not. It's a two-way street. It's not only are they working for you, but you're working for them. Mm. A tool only works for you. Mm. Well, wow, that's that. good. Yeah, man. put that on a t-shirt.
0: Yeah, well, we got it. We got it recorded <laughs> too. Yeah. Um, so, did you see people being used as tools? I did. Yeah. What would I happen? Still do. What would happen if they get used by,
1: like a tool? They just they they don't they're not inspired they're not inspired and they're not empowered to um uh what's the word i mean it's it's more about like uh, as you as you open more restaurants okay they won't if they if they're not empowered and not inspired then you're only as good as the restaurant line you're sitting on at that moment yeah. you know it's when you leave and you go to the next restaurant that they've got to be inspired yeah. and empowered to perform you yeah. know a tool is disposable yeah you know and I, that's kind of how i
0: see it like you tool a car can be like a tool or like a hammer yeah. could be a tool you don't value a hammer it's it's there and then you throw it away right and yeah. once you're done with it once it's been used up but an asset you see that if you if you invest more into an asset if you grow an asset an asset can help you grow right yeah, it's absolutely. a win-win situation yeah. uh, and you. I think you don't really, really see a tool, but you in an asset, I feel like you see it, you acknowledge mm. it. And I think people need to be seen. They need to be acknowledged. They need to yeah. be valued, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so sorry, 1998, you landed in Atlanta.
1: Did you have a job lined up or yeah. what brought you here? I got recruited here to open this place called Etsy's. Which is, was a huge business. Um, uh, we had a huge staff. Uh, the margins were really tight. So I learned so much about running a business. EC's was, was a, you if, for people who didn't want to cook, you'd go in and we made bread, we made everything, and you would buy it and take it home and heat it up. So was it like a marketplace? Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it was like a Dean and DeLuca, but on steroids kind of thing. This is a, I feel
0: like this is kind of a little early. For its, um, it was it early, was, yeah, cause yeah. Because you're seeing a lot of this right now, especially post-pandemic, yeah. of uh, retail space being used for like not quite a restaurant, not quite a marketplace, but like it's a way to kind of save time in, in the subscription-based stuff like that. Was this, yeah. was that the model? Was it a subscription? I mean, that
1: would not even out then. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. <laughs> it was just more about hey, I don't want to cook. So I'm going to go here and just get everything. But, you know, it's big in New York. That's been in New York forever. You know, you see all these little Zay bars and all these kind of things like that. So it was pre-made meals that you could go pick up. And eat glorified up leftovers. You yeah. know, that's what it is, you know? And it's like, I'm, and when I first got there, I was like, I was coming from the Ritz-Carlton in Aspen, Colorado. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? You're putting food in plastic containers or whatever. But what I learned was just huge. I mean, I learned how to run business. I learned how to manage people. I learned how to inspire people. Um, uh, you know, and I got to travel and eat all the time and eat out in great places. So it just, I mean, it elevated me, but it also kind of set me back in time, you know, I wish I would have kind of got going on my own thing a little bit earlier, but you know, my son was one when I first started. So it gave me, you know, good family time Security. with them as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Work-life
1: balance. Um, you said it helped you how
0: to manage it. It taught you how to inspire people. Let's, let's dive into this a little bit more like on that, that
1: front of managing how, what, what did you learn about management? Well, I would say management from number one, from people, cause we had, I mean, a staff of 200 people or something like that. And it was a tough environment because, especially cooks. What we was had your title? Executive. Sh- I started off as exe- executive chef. Okay. Um, And then, um, I mean, we produced pounds and pounds of food. In uh, different all these venues, you know what I mean all over the market, so you 're managing all these people, are they ready? are they set up? Are they ready to and then all of a sudden the doors open and you just get flooded with people um, so there was just a lot of pressure because it was a it was a bad business model to begin with why because it took so much labor because the margin was so tight because people. so so when you think of home meal replacement food people will pay more they'll pay a little bit more than the grocery store for their food but they're going to pay less than a restaurant so so you're basically making all this food at a lower margin you're it's basically restaurant food but you're so hopefully but at, at a lower margin so it was just tight you know we yeah. had to watch labor we had to watch food costs i mean really we had to watch waste um
0: i feel like the only way that would have worked is if you were doing a massive
1: volume and it that's exactly it volume. did work cuz we were doing like 17 million a year and it made a little bit of money you know yeah. but it took but if you were doing Fifteen million, you probably lost a bunch of money. You know what I mean? So, so just the break-even point was just so high. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it was tough. And but the PNL, you know, our financials were. I learned how to, like in my past, like if food cost was too high, we just charge more. Yeah. No big deal. You know, I you're an Aspen. I worked, you know what but mean?
0: Today, and today, I'm thinking about that in today's model. It probably would work because you you aren't so restricted on the storefront anymore. Yeah, because you could have been making that food, but also it's it's you could have had subscription plans. You oh, yeah. done All these different things. So yeah. your volume, your throughput could have probably been 10 X. Yeah. So that's probably why you're seeing these things actually work now. Right? Yeah, exactly. Of the, the yeah. Different people figured it out. Yeah. Right. Um, so you also said you, you learn how to inspire people. Where did you learn how to inspire people? How did you learn how to inspire people?
1: Well, I mean, I think, I mean, hopefully I do that. I don't know. Um, I've always thought I was a bad manager. Um, but because I'm always the good cop um but and I don't like I don't like um confrontation or anything like that but I I had to learn how to do that but um and I got to the point where like I don't know how it is but I could fire somebody and they would apologize to me they would say I'm sorry for letting you down, you know, as opposed to getting mad and throwing something and leaving, you know. And I'm like, okay, how did that just happen? And in you know, a lot of it was because it was just clear communication, like, hey, man, I'm really trying to get you to this place, but and if you do that, you know what I mean. So a lot of it is communication. It's not like we're a lot of chefs and, and restaurant people. They try, they they bury everything and they don't want to they don't want to tell someone how to get better or what they need to do to get better. And the next thing you know, they get blindsided and they get fired and they're like, wait a minute, where did this come from? Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it so communication is key Um, what does that communication look like are you are you saying so when you
0: like when you when do you start the process of communicating like uh, when things start to go south when you start noticing something
1: i think it's both you know communication has got to be positive and negative you know in this industry we're, we're we're trained to give only negative you know so when someone does something good you 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 force yourself to tell them they did something good yeah when someone does something wrong saying hey this is wrong. It's okay. Just next time, let's do it like this. No big yeah. deal. You know what I mean? Um, but you're and-
0: making me think of this advice. I've gotten a couple times now, and it says you don't correct the person; you correct the process. Yeah. So yeah. if you're seeing somebody, and what I mean by correct the process is if they're not doing it to the specs yeah. of the process or to the standard, you say this is this is what happened. This is this this is the process. This the standard. It's not what we agreed on. Yeah, yeah. And then they're not like you're just fix You're correcting the process, so yeah. they don't take it as much. It's like oh, it's it's like that constant gentle pressure of this is where yeah, you absolutely. are. Yeah.
1: This is where you need to be. Yeah, yeah. That was the whole Danny Meyer. The yeah, constant yeah. gentle pressure. Um, Thank you, Danny. It was a great <laughs> line. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, keep going if you can continue your, your train of thought. Sorry if I.
1: You know that's Maybe. it. I mean a lot of it, in, in you know, and if you treat someone like getting back to the asset thing if you treat someone like an asset they're going to be more receptive to that if you treat them like a tool they're not going to be receptive to that so yeah.
0: you're also reminding me of the the gentleman that calls you out from him wearing the swag right now as a matter of fact big right. big brewery matt swift um the value of candor um do you are you familiar with the the idea of candor mm. so it's like it's just it's just complete it's we're, you, you mentioned it basically we're afraid to be honest we, we see yeah. something wrong we're yeah. afraid to say something yeah. because we don't want to offend that person or, or yeah. create an awkward situation but we owe it to that person to be candid yeah. to, to yeah. give them the truth because yeah. they need to know how they're performing but it comes from a place of of care yeah. And that's what I hear from you. Yeah. You're not saying, you know, screw you. You're doing it wrong. It's like, Hey, I care about you, which is why I want to correct you because this is, this is how you need to be successful. This is what you need to do to be su- successful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So moving on any other big, this is where you said you grew the most. Any yeah. other big lessons during this time?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Before opening, actually this is where you grew the most before opening your own place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, nothing. I mean, it, it, people do ask like what are the what's the key to success, you know? Cuz you know, we may have opened, you know, a few different restaurants and they all just are busy or successful or whatever. I'm just like, you know, it, it's like you're starting over every day, you know? You're starting over every day and you're only as good as your last service, you know?
0: What do you mean by you're starting over every day?
1: I mean, you're every day you have to perform you know and it's not like you don't get there you know you're not like if someone does a makes a movie or whatever you know the movie is done it's filmed it's packed up in a box you know so it just keeps it keeps going you know and if if (laughs) if it's if that train is not on the track on the rails then they can easily get off the rails restaurants you know so there's no set it and forget it it's, restaurant, right. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah.
0: So is that just that constant pressure of like a little better every day? Yeah. Is that, yeah. 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 Um, so 2007 is when you opened your first restaurant, mm-hmm. right? Um, you were th- with uh, what's it called Eat for almost 10 years, nine years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it ultimately that made you say, I, I'm done with this?
1: You know, they started, it was going in a different direction. The last two years, I would say, I had seen all right my my kids are getting a little bit older now it's time for me to I saw the writing on the wall a little bit. It was starting to go in a different direction as far as uh, profitability and they're trying to like buy things versus make things, um, in house, streamlined cut labor costs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All of that was going into play and, and you know, I mean, me being like the optimistic person, I'm like, you know what, that's great. Maybe that'll work. I don't know. They may know better than I do, but it's not for me. That's Mm -hmm. not what I signed up for, you know? So, Um, what was
0: calling to you? What was for you at
1: this time? You know, honestly, it was like I had in my mind, and this is interesting because I had a concept, I, you know, growing up in, in Houston, obviously coming from Etsy's was I was looking at something maybe casual. I wanted to open like a taqueria type thing and I love wood cooking and, and I'm thinking, okay, so I need a space that's 3000 square feet. It's got a big patio and it's got a big parking lot. Okay. And no one knows who I am no landlord (laughs) knows who I am. So it's like, okay, that was just a, that was just a flaw to be, that is very hard. So two years was kind of like, I couldn't find that magical location, you know what I mean? That actually fits. So what happened was my mindset changed. It's like, okay, I'm a dreamer. You know what I mean? I love food. I love restaurants and experiences. I have a hundred different ideas in my head, always floating around in my head. I wrote numerous business plans of all these different ideas. How old are you at this time? At this time, I'm not p- now, but then in, in your story, oh gosh, 2007, 30s, maybe. 30s. Okay. And I'm like, so I thought, okay, let's, let's shift the focus to let's find a great location and let's figure out what needs to go in that location. And then that's when everything completely changed. The location was on the West side. It was back in the back at that time, you had to circle the corner. There's no street presence whatsoever, but there was a restaurant. If you remember the restaurant, uh, from New York that was in sex of the city commune. Okay. So commune had New York and it's kind of like sexy, vibey type place. Um, commune opened in Atlanta and then something happened. The chef bailed. And then the owner, you know, the guy who, you know, put up the money, had to try to get it going. And just, so they built it out and all this, and it just didn't work. But it was busy. I noticed it was busy, but it the location was like in the back and all that. I'm like, okay, so people know where it is. So what made it busy? Was it just location? Was it the fact that it was tied to? I don't know. I I don't know if it was tied to the New York one. Okay. Probably. And the press talked about it, and people sought it out, and it was busy. But then they just didn't execute. They couldn't execute. So it just slowly tanked, basically. Yeah. So I looked at the location and I said, okay, what am I? It, what am I passionate about cooking? What do do I feel like the neighborhood needs? What do I feel like the city needs? And then all through all those things had to tie together. Like I had to be passionate about it. So, in 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 that point in time, there was a there was a little taqueria who was in that Taqueria del Sol, which was great, very inexpensive. And then there's Bacanalia, which is fantastic and very expensive. So I'm thinking, well, let's go right up the middle. And that time in that era. 2007 was like, in Atlanta was straight up. All right. That's the farmed quote, farm to table time. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what it was just, there were farmers roaming around all the time. We're buying everything from the farmers. We're cooking it and we're putting it out. And, um, that's, that's what it was. Yeah, so there's this conversation that comes up often, like what does
0: what comes first, the concept or the location, right? Yeah, and for you, it sounds like you had like, this this playbook of concepts in your mind because yeah. it's all you do. Yeah, so you have this like rolodex of concepts in your mind, and you're looking to you're looking you're to find a, uh, the location first, and you're saying of my rolodex of concepts, which one makes the most sense for this location? Yeah, and then um, what do you so? There's almost like a Venn diagram happening too, where you're saying, "What am I passionate about? What do I need, and what does the neighborhood need?" Did I hear that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, why did the the neighborhood need Junction Kitchen?
1: Well, what it, was Junction Kitchen? At JCT. We called it like uh, was. I wanted it to be. <laughs> we call like the tagline was Southern farmstead cooking. Okay. So everything had to have a name and had to have a tagline. So Southern farmstead, and it wasn't necessarily Southern. Like where, what I liked was it needed, I felt like it needed an everyday, it needed a restaurant that people would go to once a week. They could go to once a week if they wanted to. And they also could go there for a special occasion if they wanted to. And that's really what it was. And it was, we called it Southern farmstead cooking, uh, was because, we were sourcing from the South and we were sourcing ingredients. So basically what it was, was kind of a, a European bistro in foundation, but utilizing local Southern ingredients and maybe naming some of the items. Like, like example, we had like chicken and dumplings. Okay. And it, and it wasn't the gloppy chicken and dumplings like you would think. It was chicken cooked in duck fat, crispy, you know, with sheep's milk ricotta dumplings. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it just was kind of a play back then, you know, uh, a play on Southern food, but done with technique. Where, where we weren't standards. Yeah, we yeah. weren't, you know, we weren't talking about the technique. We weren't talking about, you know, we weren't putting scary words on the I menu. it was just very approachable. You weren't putting it out
0: of reach for people. Right. You didn't feel right. people. You didn't. And I feel that way when I go into restaurants because I'm not a fancy person. I go into nice restaurants a lot with what I do, and I'm like, I don't even understand what this right, is. Right, saying. right, so, right. But there are people that love that, and they, they geek yeah. out on that, and, yeah. and they're willing to pay for it, and they're willing to seek that stuff out. So I think now's a great time to take uh, our first break to thank our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about How you actually built your first restaurant, how you got the money, how you built the team, because like you said, you didn't know anybody at this time. So it's going to be really interesting. We'll be right back. This episode's made possible by Pop Menu. Restaurants have been hit hard over the last few years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than Ever trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be a challenge, which is why I recommend pop menu answering pop menu answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines. Like, can I make a reservation or where are you located And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system within the pop menu platform. You can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, and even send follow up links via text message pop menu answering picks up your phone 24 7 365 days a year allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get 100 dollars off the first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get one hundred dollars off your first month and learn more about pop menu's full collection of tools at popmenu backslash unstoppable. We're back. And we're the year's two thousand seven now in your story. And um you you find this location that it, it, it you wanted to be a neighborhood location where people could go there regularly. You, you also wanted it to, to feel a little, maybe a little more elevated that it could be used for a special event too, but you want it to be in reach and wholesome. Um, this is the vision. This is the concept. How did you make it happen?
1: Well, so it started with, okay, so the location, um, I knew of the location. I knew there was a restaurant in there that was trying to sell for some reason, um, but there really wasn't anything to sell because the the landlord owned like the, all the equipment and all that. Um, so I put together a pitch, basically, of what I was going to do there or would do there, and got that in front of the landlord. And the landlord, uh, luckily, was is a is a guy who um, who valued um, the right thing in his spaces versus. I'm just taking rent. Okay. So that was good, you know, and, um, he's grown to be, you know, just, he's just a, a creative guy, you know? So, so I got that in front of him. And he's like, if he first interpreted a little bit incorrectly and then, how did he uh, interpret it? You know, I don't know. I'm trying to remember the the pitch a little bit, but it was a little bit, he, he interpreted it more as barbecue. Um, and I'm like, no, that's not it. You know what I mean? And then once he kind of figured out what, it really was. He's like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, this is what this place needs. So we got the lease signed. So the first step was to convince the person who owns the building yeah. that
0: you're the right fit for it. Yeah.
1: And that was a pitch by showing, all right, it was basically photos. It was a menu, sample menu, a sample P and L, because they're going to want to make sure that, that you know how to make money and that they get their rent and they get their percentage rent and all this stuff. So, yeah. um, so that all had to look good. So, um, so you have to sell the, sell it and you also have to sell yourself that I'm
0: going to be the person that you can bank on that. I'll be able to make this happen that I am, that I'm qualified. And that's, I think that's what chef, uh, Burrell, that's it. Robert. Robert, Thank you very much. So, so sorry, chef. Um, that's what Chef Robert was trying to communicate, too. I think that you need to put time in. You need to figure out the business mm. of, of restaurants in the back of house and how to make money doing all this stuff. And um, that's what you gave yourself with like a, what was close to like 15 years of being in the industry, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you you learned the business of restaurants. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that hasn't quite come out clearly yet is that this was a turnkey operation. Was it not?
1: Pretty close. I mean, we kept the kitchen. We did, you know, I pulled out a gas grill and put in a wood grill. Um, and that was a, I mean, maybe a couple little things here and there in the kitchen. Probably had to buy some other stuff. No. But the restaurant itself was redone. So it was, and the bar, there was a bar upstairs, too. And was that it was a redone. big build-out? It was a pretty, it was a big build-out when it comes to the restaurant. Because Smith Haynes does most of our design, and Smith's amazing. And he doesn't do things on a cheap scale <laughs> yeah. he does it right i don't he just doesn't know how we to almost
0: connect we were this close to connecting with smith Haynes while in town but we weren't able to make it oh happen, wow yeah yeah i was i was excited for that so um so you worked did you work with smith Haynes on this project
1: this was like you know he had done some residential in one little small restaurant out in serenby so this was like his first big city restaurant wow. basically yeah. Nice. yeah
0: um so i guess where i'm going with this um You had an executive role. I'm assuming you were making decent money with Etsy's. Like were you putting money away, was it the dream to be able to, to go buy a restaurant or did you have to seek help to, to make this happen? Oh no, you
1: absolutely had to seek help. Um, I, yeah, I did have like golden handcuffs at that time. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna have to break through these if I want to ever make it ahead of that. And, um, so what it was, was, uh, you know, my sister married a guy who's in oil and gas, and he' a great guy, but he's not like, hey, here's some money. I, it's just so I have a restaurant. He wants to make money. He doesn't want to lose his money, and I didn't want to lose his money. So basically, he um, taught me a lot about investors, too. He says, you want, you know, he, I had a couple buddies who threw in some money, Um, and then he had some friends in his office that also threw in some money. But one thing that he said is he's, you want investors who will give you the money and basically forget about it, who don't need that, that little, that distribution check. They, you know, they, they have to be of of a higher network where, um, they're not like, Hey, where's my money? You know what I mean? that because you don't need that pressure. So, and that's, who he had. And he, you know, so he, that's who he brought to the table. He was
0: your, um, sister's husband. Husband, Husband. Yes. Okay. Yes. So he, was investing and he brought a network of investors with him. Yes. Got it. Yes. And you also said you had some friends as well. Yes. So how many total investors would you say you had to make this happen? We
1: had like uh, seven, eight, maybe at that time. Was there a number
0: you had in your mind that you said, I need to raise this to make my vision come true?
1: Yeah. This one was, I mean, gosh, back in 2007, we were, yeah, I think we, had an initial budget of like 750,000 and we went over that and did we always it. do. <laughs> you know, we did it did it for 1.1 1. 1, 1. 1.2 yeah which, so
0: almost 500,000 over right
1: Yeah, I you know, whatever it was it was I knew we were 250,000 over and that was very hard for me to even ask for this that. This is a great lesson. Two. You yeah. know,
0: is that figure out what it's going to take. Yeah. And then add 50% to it because there's going to be something that you are yeah. not factoring.
1: It, it's happened every single time. And that restaurant. way you don't have to go
0: back to your, your investors and say, I need more. Right? Yes, yes. So whatever it is, add 50% onto it or 100% onto it. Absolutely. Because it's not just getting open, it's the operating capital yeah. to stay open for a year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So did that ha- like so any other lessons about uh, the build out or things uh, uh, lessons about approaching investors that you learned during this time that this this uh your brother-in-law taught you?
1: I mean, that was the main thing. And, you know, he obviously made it really easy. Um, but I also learned, you know, how to communicate to them. Um, and interesting, I mean, it was just quarterly communications, just to give it, keep them in the loop of, hey, this is what's going on in the restaurant. This is what's going on in the community. Here we are, and uh, we're seeing this, you know. And I would send these quarterly letters out, and I would not hear a word back. I would not hear good job. I would not hear bad job. And it was just like, wow, that's great. You know what so I mean? It's good. fine, actually, yeah.
0: It didn't give you any anxiety? you like, are they no. happy with it? Okay. Yeah,
1: I'm just like, okay. You know what I mean? But he was right. I mean, these weren't people who were uh, looking for this quarterly paycheck. You know, yeah. they were just like, great, you know?
0: I think the big lesson about this, too, which has kind of been like a, it's, it's there, but also become somebody who's worth investing in. And, yeah, um, yeah, don't like you, again. You had 15 years of fine dining experience and, and corporate experience combined, um, and th- to these people, they're they're making an, they don't people don't invest in ideas. They don't invest in concepts. They invest in people. Yeah, like is this yeah, person yeah. going to execute it? So become somebody who's worth investing. in. Yeah. Any other lessons on on this before we move on? Yeah,
1: I mean, there was one thing that people don't know. You know, a lot of chefs and cooks and sous chef, whatever, they don't know that. The reality is that cash, people say cash is king, okay? So whoever's putting up the money actually is, you know, doing less, way less work, you know, but they are taking all the risk. Um, So really to find a deal that's 50-50, okay, you don't put up anything, but they put up all the money, but you own 50-50 is super rare, you know? You have to have some sort of you know, some track record for, for someone to actually do that. Um, or some huge notoriety for someone to do that. So typically, you know, it's way less. Uh, I mean, it could even be 20%, you know, you are busting your butt for 20%. So, and also be aware, like it, this wasn't the case that for me, but I see it all the time. A lot of chefs get intrigued by, whoever the owner is or whatever says, Hey, I'm going to make you a partner, Mm. you know, that partner word. Okay. What does that really mean? And you have to know, you know, I know people who have, I mean, who are fantastic chefs, cookbooks, everything have been given 20% of a restaurant, but they don't get any of that 20% until the investor has been paid off. Plus another kicker of some sort, you know? So be scared, you know, be careful with that word partner, you know? So what, should
0: people be looking for, let's pretend this is the first restaurant that people are buying. Like it was your first restaurant. Yeah. When we hear the word partner, what should that look like on paper in your opinion?
1: Okay. I'm just going to be straight up and this is what my deal was. You know, it was basically at the end of the day, it was basically a 60, 40 split and that's a family deal. That's a brother-in-law deal. I'm 40% after a few different, hurdles. Okay. So the first hurdle was, um, he gets his money back. Okay. The, or who are the, the investors investment. get their money back? You know, yeah. that's the first hurdle. And then I go to 10% and he's at 90%. He goes from a hundred percent down to 90. I go from zero to 10%. And then 1.5 times I go to 20% and he, and he goes down to 80%. So and one, then t- 1.5 times the
0: return on his investment. Yep. Yep. So you start 4060.
1: Yep. No, no, no. We start at 100% no, that's zero. That's the goal. The ending point is 46. Yeah. I there
0: I was like you wait, you started and you went back. Yeah. So you start so the the the, the aiming point 4060. Start 1090 until they get their initial investment back and then it's 1.5 uh, the initial investment then you jump up at 10%. Take it from yeah. there.
1: And then it goes to say 2.5. At 2.5 I I land at 40%. And he lands at 60%. How long did it take you to get to that point? Uh, for, for us, I would say to get to that is probably about four
0: years. Well, looking at your timeline here, thank you very much, Katie. Uh, <laughs> it was about four
1: years where you went to number 246. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So it really got to that point. Now, other restaurants got a lot faster because we had a name, you know what I mean? And we started off being a lot busier. So JCT opened with doing 2.5 million a year and then soon, you know, ramped really up to about six, six and a half million a year. So, wow. um, and since over that time when it's that 60, 40, um, there was many of years that we, we both, you know, took distributions off of that. So, um, because, so- because the restaurant was throwing off, you know, eight, 900,000 a year or something like that, yeah. you know?
0: So how long did it, were you, when you opened, how were you operating in the red or the black? How long did, how long did it take you to get into the black?
1: So I would say to pay off that, I would two and a half, two and a half years, I would say to pay off the initial investment. Um, and then it Paid off to the two and a half times pretty quickly now, after that.
0: Did you work in owner's pay or was there like. I was on a salary. Okay. This yeah, is yeah. really important. I yeah, think yeah. people get in trouble here. They yeah. think I'll just take whatever's left over after I pay everything. But no, you no, got to no. work that in. Oh, yeah. Did yeah. you know this from day one? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool good um i follow this this author michael mccallowicz he, t- he wrote the book profit first okay and i think everyone opening a restaurant should read that book oh wow i Im- understand like you need to take your profit yeah and then that after you pay yourself what's left over determines the growth of the business yeah right yeah and that's okay yeah that's okay don't yeah. feel slimy for taking no, care yeah. of yourself yeah um any i mean this is where I have to start to take a step back because normally I would, I would talk about every restaurant along the way. Um, it looks like around from 2007 to 2011, um, was, was, uh, just J C or sorry, J C T. Mm -hmm. And then you had, uh, number two, four, six that opened in July, Mm -hmm. 2011. And then it looks like pretty much from that point on 2012, you had the optimist 2013, you had King and Duke, uh, 2014, you had St. Cecilia, uh, 2000. And then you also had. uh, Sorry, Sorry. two fourteen. you had uh, Super
1: Rica too. We did like five in one year, I think. One yeah. year. <laughs>
0: uh, Super Rica, Krog, uh, State of Grace, October. This is all in the, basically a year. Beetle Cat in 2015, Su- Super Rica, Buckhead in 2016, Super Rica, Battery in 2017, uh, La-, La Lucha in mm-hmm. 2018 super rica in 2018 Mm -hmm. so you you get to this point where you start going crazy right and there's no way we're going to be able to unpackage the openings of each one of these restaurants and what you learned but really what restaurant unstoppable is about is the evolution of the people behind the restaurant yeah your evolution as a restaurateur and the the restaurant groups evolution so let's start with your evolution as you're going through and you're opening these restaurants how are you evolving what are you learning what are the What are the shifting points for you first gear second gear third gear and what happened to get you out of those gears yeah so
1: so first gear was opening my first restaurant and working it and learning everything that i can know about it learning the you know anything you know i did everything i did anything from payroll i put you know the only thing i really didn't do was like floor manage You know what I mean? I just, I wasn't doing that cause I was in the kitchen. So, but I learned everything. I learned office. I learned, you know, the investor side. I mean, I just learned all that stuff. And once I felt comfortable, someone told me one time, someone, uh, I was really antsy to start like early on to start, um, opening more restaurants. Um, and sometimes chefs get to this point where they just, they're, you know, we were doing say two and a half million and I'm sitting here talking to this guy who actually founded Capital grill. I think one of the guys, one of the founders of Capital grill. And I said, hey, yeah, but I'm ready to do something else, you know? And, and he said, forward, he said, let me give you one piece of advice. He said, he said, wait until you get this to 5 million, then start talking about what are you going to do next? And he was right, you know, but I, I didn't take his advice. What we, we just didn't advance because that was a 2008 was the recession and we didn't know what was going to happen, but actually sales just kept going and we did get to 5 million after about four years. So, um, so that was first gear of learning it. And then at that point in time, I had this realization, like, you know, what would be a cool model is that, I feel like I have access to capital. I feel like I understand the business side of thing. I feel like I understand what it takes to kind of produce a restaurant. There's a, there's a bunch of my friends in town who are super talented chefs who want that. Why don't I, why don't I source out? So I, chefs who are friends of mine say, Hey, do you want to Let's do a restaurant together, you know? And then that chef. So that's what we did with two, four, six. I found drew, Drew was working at float away cafe and I'm like, I knew he was wanting to get into his own restaurant. And I said, Hey, I have a location in Decatur that I think your style of cooking would really fit. So what we did was, so he, he scrounged up some money, he put in some money. So he became a partner of this second restaurant. Um, so I loved it because he owned it and he was in there and he worked it. And it brought him and his family just to a whole nother level. Yes. And, and that's the magic stuff right yeah. there. Like so creating opportunity for yeah. right?
0: Um But I want to unpackage some of the stuff yep. a little bit more before we move forward. Yep. Uh, you had the, the, uh, the owner of Capital Grow who said, wait until you get to 5,000 mm-hmm. or 5 million. 2.5 mm-hmm. million is not enough money. <laughs> wait until you double that. What yep. was the between the lines? What was he trying to, to, to communicate to you? Why was he right?
1: I just think But maybe because a lot of times restaurants open up and they, this is what I noticed is when I look at, places, they open up and they have this honeymoon period. And imagine this is where he was going. They have you this honeymoon unstoppable. <laughs> period. Yeah. You think you're on fire. And the next thing you know, people really don't like it. And you tank uh, and you close or people love it and you keep going forward. So which way is it going to go? And I look at that. I look at restaurants and, you know, it's kind of back in the day, it was kind of at a two year mark. About two years, you would, you would know what they were going to do. You know, if are they going to tank or are they going to keep going? Are they going to, And JCT just kept the, the hockey stick went up, you know? So I'm like, okay. And I imagine that's probably what it was. And he's also right. It's hard to make money on, um, low sales. Restaurants take, you have to have volume. Everyone, you know, I remember going to culinary school. I'm like sitting next to someone. I'm like, well, what do you want to do when you get out of school? Oh, I want to open a bed and breakfast or I want to open a a breakfast lunch place. I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, you're buying yourself a job, you know, yeah. and you have to be big enough but you, to. You could, argue,
0: you could argue you're buying yourself a job with a restaurant, too.
1: Absolutely. But uh, there's another another guy who told me, so Terrence Brennan, which is a chef from New York, Picheline. I did a dinner with him one time, and he was telling me that he was off on the weekends. I'm like, how are you off on the weekends? That doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. And he says, he says, you have to be big enough where the restaurant doesn't need you mm. basically what do you spell that out what do you mean it doesn't need you you are not you you are big enough that it's throwing off enough money it can pay you but you've worked into a place where the restaurant is running without you mm. in a sense okay you're not a you're not a uh a, a, a like like right now let's let's put it in more of a restaurant uh group i hate that word but the restaurant, I, I feel like I've worked I work myself out of a job. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. it doesn't, it is not, I don't, I mean, they will say, yeah, it needs me from my whatever, my decision making or brain or whatever. But from a physical day to day task or whatever, I'm not locked into the restaurant itself. And who would also validate is a book called The E Myth. Yes. Okay? Love me some Michael Gerber. So you got to, So reading The E Myth would just say, hey, you have to be big enough so that you can steer the ship from the clouds, um, as opposed to in it. So, and you have to be at a certain volume to, for it to throw off. I would say for the most part, you know, enough money to be able to do that. You know, if you're smaller, it's harder. Like two, four, six was a very three, 3500 square foot restaurant and it was harder it did well but it just doesn't throw off a a, you know the the amount of dollars so you could step away if that makes sense
0: and it's the e-myth uh michael gerber who coined the word and i'm sure you've heard it that you want to work on your business not in your business yes yes and that's where that quote came from and uh something that we echo here Uh, Restaurant unstoppable. A lot is you don't want to create people dependent organizations. You want to create system dependent organizations. However, I would I would go further. Is you need both, but you really want the the business to be dependent on systems that you put amazing people into. Yes, yes. Uh, So, but you can't have it hinge on you. Is the real takeaway there? Like you can't if you don't show up to work that day because you're sick or you have to go to a funeral or you break a leg or whatever that business should be able
1: to continue to go without
0: yeah. you. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and then when, what, what did it take you to get to that point? It,
1: you can't, yeah, you can't ride off You can't take that bit of advice and just walk into a restaurant and do that. You know, th- there is a period of time where uh, you are getting your arms around it. Okay. So that was at least a year for me, you know, to really get your arms around it. Um, so, don't go in thinking your first year. Okay. Everyone's going to do everything you got to do. It almost has to like invert, you know, like you have to go in and do everything and bust your butt, you know, and until you've got it till you've wrangled the, the, the bull basically from a Texas point of view, um, you've got to wrangle that bull and tame that bull, you know, and then, yeah. And then once, and then it's, it's, it's trained and it's, and it's moving forward. And, 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 that will also play into, as you grow into restaurants, you start cultivating these people who think the way you do, who make decisions the way you do, and then when you grow, it's it's easier to maintain that culture. You're recreating yourself yeah. in others. You're yes. duplicating yeah. yourself, Yeah. right?
0: Uh, so, okay, so again, 2007 to 2011, four years to... To get to this point where you're removing yourself from the restaurant, the day to day, where it doesn't need you, that you're you're building systems, you're developing culture, you're recreating yourself and others. What was the picture of JCT at, at 2000 in 2000, say 10? When you're like, okay, maybe now, where well, you're probably thinking next restaurant. Like, what did that look like? Paint that picture of what a day in the life of JCT looked like.
1: That was a point where I had, uh, Brian who was, who had all along, you know, had been my right hand guy, fantastic cook, you know, chef, and he was, uh, owning it. And I had this passion for other chefs in the city, you know, I'm like, Hey, what can I do to bring these, these people on? And let's, I want to create restaurants, you know, my, and my brother-in-law was like, okay, well, we're making money. Let's do it. You know? And he's a, smart guy. And, and so we had this idea of like, all right, let's, uh, I'm giving away kind of some of our logic. Um, what I watched was, I mean, you watched restaurants, stop you. you know, <laughs> like, like I call them like credibility restaurants. Okay. Like you watch like Danny Meyer. Okay. And this was, I don't think he's, he just, he, he did restaurants and they were all amazing and people saw him. Okay this guy's a real deal or whatever these chefs or whoever's a real deal, you know? And then all of a sudden they open their burger place or all of a sudden they open their little casual place or whatever. And then they roll those out, whatever. So for me, I always had in mind, like I always wanted to have something, you know, it was really the super Rica. I always wanted to have some, cause I grew up in Texas and I love, uh, I love Mexican food. I love Tex-Mex if it's done well. Um, so I knew I wanted to bring Super Rica to the Southeast, but I knew that Super Rica would do, if if I would have just came from Etsy's and went and opened Super Rica, I, I'm not sure where it would have gone. But what happened was we went from these five restaurants that all made it to national lists and all this to, oh, now they're opening this Mexican restaurant. Well, let's, you know, so it was kind of a, it gives you kind of credibility as a restaurateur and a chef um, so that whatever you do, people are going to want to see it and it gives you that leg up, if that makes sense. So you're
0: giving yourself the reputation with the first, uh, what do we have? One, two, three, four Quality. Uh, quality.
1: Yeah. It was, it was, now that I think about it, it was a quality thing like, hey, we don't do things cheap, you know? We do things right. You know, and it's, so and developing a brand, developing a brand and what we stand for. Reputation.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, so that was your strategy, your goal for the, say the first five, five years. That was
1: it. You know, well, honestly, it's interesting because what we said was we were going to start, let's, let's create five restaurants and then let's create little spinoffs of each restaurant that could be scalable. Okay. So that could be two, four, six. Okay. And then the skip, the spinoff for two, four, six would have been maybe say pizzeria, black sheet pizzeria or something like that. And then we do 10 of those, you know, black sheet close. No, we never did it. Oh, okay, we never did any of those spinoffs because what we learned was that just takes too much time, you know? So we learned that the most scalable model, the one that that seemed to resonate was Super Rica. So we opened Super Rica and I knew deep down, like, okay, that one is a scalable model that we can, that's probably the most complicated but scalable model that I was kind of willing to do. So that
0: most complicated yet scalable. What do you mean by that? Well,
1: there are, there are simpler models out there. You look at some lobster roll places that it's basically, you know, you boil the lobster, you have a little toaster oven and you make lobster roll. That's it. You (laughs) know what I mean? So that's pretty simple. This is, we're making our own salsa. We're making our own tortillas, you know? So it's, it's complex but it's different than our other restaurants Our other restaurants. I would call them more chef driven chef empowered where Superica is, it's a standard, you know, this is what it is. This is what this food is. And we just manage that standard, you yeah. know? Um, so that's kind of what it is now. I still love doing, you know, one-off things. That's what kind of stokes my, um, Excitement, uh, but that was the, the the goal was again to start these five things and then have these little spinoffs and then all of a sudden that goal changed. All right, let's just let's open these chef driven restaurants ever so often. Maybe not five in one year, but and then let's let's create another part of our company to focus on Superica. So our company is kind of split in half. We got the Superica team and then we have the chef-driven team, basically. Got um, it. So that's kind of how we landed. So – I've been in town for almost a week now. Today's Thursday. Hmm. When we're recording this
0: guy here Sunday. And I had a chance to talk to some other restaurant tours in the city. And uh, I mean, a lot of people look up to you Ford. I mean, you've done so much here in Atlanta, like you're a staple in the restaurant community here in Atlanta. So I was asking people, I'm like, I'm going to be talking to Ford later in the week. Like, what, like, what should <laughs> I ask him? Like what, like you, you probably follow him more than I do. I'm from New Hampshire. Like I'm not as familiar. Yeah. And uh, the first question was, uh, why did you, I think, we talked to Jonathan yesterday and he said, he was curious why you started and we're getting into it right now, which is why mm-hmm. I'm surfacing this is that you started with all these high touch, ultra fine, ultra complicated chef driven yeah. concepts. And then you started to pivot to more high quality, but scalable. Um, yep. And what, what was the reason for that? Why did you pivot? Did your interests shift? Did your, what was, what was the reason for this?
1: You know, the, yeah, the reason was we wanted to, and it goes back to Danny Meyer's restaurants and then all of a sudden Shake Shack. Yes. Okay. So it's kind of that same thing where, you know, I, I enjoy the chef driven, I enjoy working with chefs and partnering with chefs to the, do restaurants. Living love in the that. cloud, yeah. the creativity side. Love that. That's just yeah. my, that's, you know, if I could do that all day long, but I do love Tex-Mex too. So, um, you know, I just think we've decided to kind of slow down because, you know, things got more expensive. I mean, it's yeah. just like, you know, and then all of a sudden there's like a lot of restaurants. It's like, okay, let's slow down. Let's don't let's just don't keep, you know, and people were saying, you know, people are like, oh, Ford's growing too fast. You know, or doing this. I'm like, I mean, looking at paper, paper doesn't look like you ever slowed down. Yeah, <laughs> no, we didn't. I mean, but it was all about people. Yeah, it was about let's create. Let's create spots for people that because yes. what we did was we've we found most of the the best chefs I would say in the city who didn't have their own restaurant and we kind of took them in and we created restaurants and then they learned a ton of how to open their own restaurant which is awesome and then they kind of broke away and opened their own restaurants that's so, what's gonna happen
0: yeah and it, it's great and so I love either, that either they leave you and go do their own thing or you say how about we do it together that's right that's yeah. right. Yep. yep. And that's what it's all about is is spreading out the wealth, is creating opportunity for others. Uh, the other group that had a question for you, and I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm putting them on the spot here, but uh, it was Miguel and Damien over at Real Tacos. Um, mm-hmm. We got to talk to them and what they said, uh, was the, uh, I had it in my mind, I just lost it, but it was similar along those lines of... In terms of economics, and we're and you're getting into this, mm-hmm. it's super expensive to do these chef-driven restaurants. Mm-hmm. They're not cheap. Mm-hmm. The, the people that it takes to execute that are skilled individuals who deserve to be taken care of, yep. right? And then just the I'm I'm assuming just the the the, the execution to do that it can't be cheap. Um, but they they're curious why put all this energy into multiple different re, uh, restaurants when um, you could put all of your energy into one and 10x that. Right, mm-hmm. and you're getting into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, you're answering the question. You already answered it, and it's you're doing both. Really, at the end of the day, is the answer. It seems like you've identified this, and you need your cash cow to to support the fun yeah. stuff that you like yeah. to do. Right?
1: Yeah. yeah, and and that's the truth. That, you know, we just what we didn't know is we didn't know. Okay, we didn't know that we should have just focused on one thing. So what they're saying is correct, yeah. you know, and anyone who is, has become like super successful in the restaurant business has scaled something and sold it basically yeah. is what Either they do. Of, you know? Yeah. You're
0: only worth the value of your brand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's not who I, you know, that's not why I do it, you know? Um, so, so that's, there's this tug and pull because, yes. because Go ahead. Sorry. You know, it's really because that's what I enjoy doing. Mm. So now that we have a partner who's a CFO, you know, I have to listen, you know, I have to listen to him and have, he'll say "Fort, No, slow down okay, dang it. You know what I mean? I want to do these things. Also,
0: how great is it that you're not yeah. the CFO and that you recognize so great. that so great. you have a lane and that you should need to surround yourself with the people who are yeah. strong you
1: your week. And we have a COO, you know, who, again, he's like Ford. No, you know what I mean? Or, hey, that's a great idea, you know, or if I'm really passionate about it, I'll force it through, you know, so, um, but it's good, you know, and now that we, but, it, you know, cause I was all those things at restaurant number one.
0: Yeah. Um, I think there's a balance, and yes, there's the cash cow. But at the same time, you need. And I've seen this happen a lot with restaurant tours, where they have their their passion, they're passionate about the food, they they want to do the thing that lights them up, <laughs> and they realize that that thing that lights them up doesn't make them any money. So they have to go open another restaurant that is focused and geared around profitability yeah. to feed the engine. Yes, right. Yes, and I I, I think yes, there's a. A fiscal responsibility that we have to the people we hire, to the people that we bring that we surround ourselves to, but there's also a responsibility to uh to to make it fun and to yeah. to give creative outlets because we need security, but we also need to feel like we're growing. Yeah. And that we're being seen and that we're we are expressing our creativity. And it's harder to do that in a Super Rica than it is in a yeah. JCT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is. I think that there is no one. I think it's both. Yeah. And you're saying yes, but why?
1: Well, cuz it's it's two different types of people. You know, you have a you have a Super is, a, is def, definitely a standard and an experience and so so when you hire people, it's people who enjoy that type of uh ex, that that type of thing where they just like managing a standard or they like they enjoy the high-paced volume. And then there's also the type of people who love change and love creativity and love the the higher end service thing. So it's 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 having both. And then being able to crop we've had people who were managers at some of our uh, upscale restaurants who I, I looked at, them, I'm like, why do we hire this person? And then all of a sudden we shift them over to Superica and they bloom like nobody's business. And they're like, These guys are awesome, you know? Well, so different cuts of people yeah. we, we all come in different shapes and sizes and yeah.
0: strengths and weaknesses we excel in different verticals and um, there's so many different spectrums of restaurant right and i don't know where i'm going with this thought mm-hmm. but like i guess i'm trying to reinforce what you just already yeah. said yeah, yeah yeah, for sure so thinking about overtime um like when was rocket farm restaurants
1: formed Okay. Yeah. That's interesting because, because we did, so we have JCT and then two, four, six, and those were two different partnerships. And at that point in time, um, we, me and my brother-in-law decided, all right, we're going to start growing. Okay. So then it's like, all right, what do we need to do to build the infrastructure around? What do we need to do to build this engine so that we can grow? um so as opposed to you know holding on to the back of a fast moving engine and letting it drag you we wanted to drag it we wanted to i wanted to make sure that i had a coo who i trusted and and um could assist in in building rocket farm rocket farm like you know, you picture these little rockets in a farm blasting out of the dirt, you know, okay. and that's all about people. That's all about our staff. Like what I told him, he asked me, he says, what do you want to build here? And I said, I want to build a restaurant company that educates versus dictates. And this is he, he actually uh, I don't know. He came up with that terminology from what I was telling him, and it was basically educating people how to run restaurants. Man, you're, and you're versus me dictate. Glow on the inside right now, by the way, keep going. <laughs> well, and that's what he did. You know what I mean? And some people, some people want to be dictated to. Some people want to be educated, and some people want to be educated and leave and start their own, which is awesome. I I'd also noticed, you know, when we get back to the, the if someone's a tool or not everyone's probably experienced quitting a job and being, you know, ridiculed or whatever for quitting that job or getting mad. It's like, if someone comes to me and says, Hey, I'm leaving because I'm starting my own restaurant. I'm not going to say, Oh my God, I've spent all this time in you and now you're leaving. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, how can I help you? Yeah. You know, because that is the ultimate flattery. You know what I mean? Let me know how I can help you, you Mm -hmm. know? And that's, that's what the farming is, the farming of people, you know? So, so what happens when you take that approach versus the other way? Well, I, people have a hard time believing me when I say that. So what they do is, so what's happened is they've been real secretive about it and you start hearing rumblings. Oh, so-and-so's working on a lease and so and so's. and I just go to that person. I'm like, Hey, I'm here to help you. Oh no, no, no. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And then Two months later, hey, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, like, and I get it. They're afraid that we're going to like fire them or something the world like they that. they came up in. You yeah. know, that's what they think. I guess so. I guess so. And, and I'm like, you know, it is great. It's okay. Yeah. And
0: why I was glowing on the inside when you said that we're trying to create uh, restaurants that educate, not dictate, is because I'm trying to create an industry that educates and yeah. doesn't dictate. Yeah. And it's, I'm trying to take what you're doing and I'm trying to show every mofo out there who's yeah. trying to come into this industry and to be successful is saying, this is how you do it. Yeah. You create opportunity. You can't go alone. You have to go together yeah. and you go together by creating opportunity for other people, knowing your lane, finding and surrounding yourself with people who are strong or you're weak and just saying, let's go together. Yeah. What do you want? Okay, well let's create a win-win situation because I want something similar and this is how I can help you and this is how you can help me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that, that the, the, these values that you're echoing right now. Thank you so much for, being yeah. someone to make an example of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when did this conversation have from from creating this this restaurant group that has these rockets coming out of the bottom of a farm, where <laughs> you're just creating opportunities for people? Where in the timeline did this this conversation start?
1: This was right after we opened two four six. So,
0: oh, so this is early on two thousand eleven. Early
1: on. Oh yeah yeah. So my I had a boss in Aspen, and the food and beverage director. He and he Toby he brought me to California. Um, and he was amazing. He was the best boss I've ever had. So I was in Atlanta and I'm like, you know, man, I hadn't talked to this guy in a long time. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, man, we need to find a Toby. Toby will be like a good COO. And I looked up on LinkedIn. I said, where's Toby? And he had an address like three miles from my house. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. The guy from California and Nantucket and all this, or Martha's Vineyard, has an address like right by my house. So i got a hold of him and he's like, yeah, yeah. He said he's had his consulting company for years and he had a home base here, but was in Asia and all these places. And oddly enough, he was tired of traveling, you know? So we met at the bar at two, four, six. He's like, wow. I mean, you just kind of caught me at the right time. And he says, what do you want to build? And I said, look, this is what we want to build. And he kind of, He translated what I I was saying because sometimes I mumble, you know, or maybe, you know, who knows what I'm saying, but he translated it. And
0: How do you distill? Do you remember his distillation of what you wanted to create?
1: I think that's what it was. I mean, I always just said, I'm passionate. I said, it's not about me. It is about people, and I want to do this. And I think that speaks to him because what he brought to the table, he is a very big um, pusher of, hey, you've got to give people – both types of feedback. You got to get, you know, you got to give people good feedback and you got to give people bad feedback. And, um, those that's what good leaders are. And he's, he was a great leader. You know, he wasn't one that just kind of got buddy buddy with you, but, and he wasn't one who belittled you. He was, he was one that just was straight up. He held you accountable to what you said you were going to do. And he's done a, just a killer job. So that's where it all started.
0: So in 2011, you have the foresight to say, if we're going to grow, we need to build the house before we move into it. Um, so what, if you're trying to build something like you've built, what are the parts of the house? What are the elements of the house? What needs to exist in that framing for you to grow?
1: For me, um, what I knew was opening restaurants were always grueling on the chef and GM. Um, of the restaurants. And i what I noticed was in restaurants, they burn through either their chef or their GM or whoever uh, early on. And just because And what that does, that's really bad because you start changing over your leadership. So you lose consistency and you have problems. And then that's where we talked about earlier about that, that, that two year window. Like, well, are you going to tank in two years or are you going to grow in two years? And one of the things that helps you there is have maintaining your team and maintaining your team. So part of maintaining the team is to have support when you're opening. And that's by, is that a, uh, is that myself or a corporate chef or something like that? Or is that a, um, a a senior general manager or you know, so that the chef doesn't get fully, I mean, yes, openings are always going to be hard no matter what, but if you give them support and help them set up where it's manageable and not quite as grueling and not, you know, 120 hours a week, maybe it's 90 hours a week or something like that during the opening, it makes a big difference, you know, when you open. So that was my mindset was like, all right, how do we do this? Where, you know, we're not blowing everybody out because, you know, the restaurant business, when people get stressful, they say things they don't mean, you know, and it just turns into a big you get emotional. Yeah, it's just a bad it experience, out, you know, you know?
0: Uh, so you don't burn out your chef is the the, the, the gut feeling you have that we're going to scale. If we're going to do this. We can't burn out our chefs. Uh, so you build a team around the Mm -hmm. the chef, you give Mm -hmm. them the relief they need, the Mm -hmm. support they need. What does that support look like? What elements do you need to build around the
1: chef? Well, I mean, as a chef, it's collaboration, you know, it's not putting everything on them. It's like a group, maybe three of us typically sit around, whether it's the opening chef, myself, and then maybe another chef or another vice president chef. Um, And, you know, that started off before we had say VP chefs, I kind of filled that role basically to give them support in a, in a springboard and Hey, and I would write a sample menu and Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And we travel and we do things Um, so you have that and you have like all the back office set up, um, stuff like that. So, so we got to a point where, I mean, it first started off having a director of operations or something like that. It always starts off smaller. And then over time we probably had three or four vice president chefs, you know, and five vice president front of the house people, you know, who are there to support, you know, and actually educate. Yeah. So, and encourage, you know, a lot of times it's just encouraging. Hey, we're there. We're, you know, talking about all the successes in an opening because it's it's hard, you know?
0: Yeah. So, what about the people who are listening to this and going, yeah, like I'd love to give my chef all this stuff. But those are people and that's labor costs. And yeah. I don't yeah. have the money. Where right. do you get the money? What's the answer to that? <laughs> it's your capital. Yeah.
1: You know, most people. Which is why you wait $5 would, million before yes. two point five. Right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, most people don't have that luxury Uh, but we had an end in mind goal we knew where we were going so we knew like all right we have to front load it with capital and we have to front load it with with labor now it's not like we have this massive team and we're opening restaurant number three and that team grew you know so over time so
0: were there waves of investments that you're going through where you're like okay like we got so there's first gear we opened our restaurant Mm -hmm. there's second gear where okay we're humming we're making five million a year we have excess cash flow we have i remove myself from the business the business no longer needs me Third gear, is that, okay, we're redefining our organizational structure. We need to go out and get more capital.
1: Third gear is when we were getting ready to open The Optimist, and we created Rocket Farm Restaurants, which was basically me, my brother-in-law, his younger brother, who's our CFO... And our COO, who I was talking about earlier, and that is Rocket Farm. Yeah, no more other investors. Got no it. more of the other guys on the fringe. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is just ourselves, and we were, and we take everything moving forward.
0: Yeah. How much easier is it to raise capital when we've already made millions of dollars for somebody?
1: It's so much easier. <laughs>
0: exactly. So <laughs> here's know? the point: like they're not going. Oh, I got to give you more money. They're saying yes. This is going to make us even yes. more money, right? Yes. So yes. it's not like you're asking them. You're you're giving them more yes. opportunity, yeah, right? Yeah. But you have to prove yourself first. Absolutely. So, you get this money by proving yourself. Yep. You get this money by having that track record. Um, so what what how has the organization evolved over time? If I got hired 10 years ago and I walked into your restaurant and I was getting trained then
1: versus now,
0: what does that evolution look like from the the employee perspective?
1: Wow, well, I mean, I'm from a pretty high technology. I mean, you, you know, if you come into our corporate office, which you did this morning, you know, you see beautiful, by the way, I love this, (laughs) you know, you see, like, we have a room for orientation. We have TVs and screens and video cameras that are, um, that's important to me. Orientations are important to me. And a lot of people don't understand that. Um, because they come from smaller restaurants and they don't do it. They just hire you and throw you in. This is more about,
0: yeah, say go get them.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So this is like, Hey, you come in and hopefully you're inspired. If you fall asleep, you, you may get let go. You, there has been a lot of that. That's like, you know, but if hopefully you're inspired, like, okay, wait a minute. I want to, I understand the educate versus dictate, you know, that's inspiring. And I hope that plays out as I, as I start working. So seeing that, you know, it's a, for for me, that's what people are going to see. And some people see it as, oh, it's too corporate. We are trying to fight. You know, we don't like corporate. I just okay? saw your
0: body language when that word came out oh, of your yeah. Like oh, yeah. it we don't, <laughs> we
1: don't like corporate. But what happens is people end up leaving because they're like, you know, it's it's too corporate. It, but and then they come back, or they leave. Well, first of all, they they'll say, you know what, I get it. I get why you need this kind of structure or whatever because you're big and whatever. And then some people we have like a, I think it was a seventy percent return rate. Like if an employee quits on their own behalf, seventy percent of them come back. Hmm. So it's so that's kind of that was a that was an interesting number for Grass me. Grass is to always hear. greener on the other side. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Also,
0: yeah. So. What about the actual tools that you're giving your team? So they they come, uh, they they get hired. Um, what would have? What you didn't. Did you have the same level of training back in 2011 no. as you do now? No. So what elements do you have now, or like what were the what was the evolution of that? Like what was what was the the first wave of improvement versus the second wave of improvement, and the third into where you are today?
1: Well, that was just to- Toby, our COO. He uh, he is passionate about training. He's passionate about so when we talk about educate, so he developed all these modules you'd call it. So we have these iPads in every store where you can sign up for these modules where you will have a VP, you know, you may, you, you can sign up and take a class on finance. If you want to learn how the finance side, you can do that. If you want to take a class on wine, you know, our VP of beverage teaches this class on wine or whoever, or if it's culinary one, which you saw one guy being taught today or something like that. There's, there's different classes that people can take to, to learn about different things okay about the restaurant industry so there's actual physical training and teaching going on but that has to come from the individual the individual has to want that and it has to sign up for that and to be it it, it, so so it's there for you if you want it and it's if you don't want it then that's fine
0: yeah I I did a deep dive conversation with Nick Cerro the founder of Nick's Pizza, at Next mm. University. He's up based up in Chicago. We did a workshop together and I'm going to be having him come back and talk because I love this what you're talking about right now. And The way he describes this is creating tangible vertical like tangible lanes of growth yes. in your business. Yeah. So you literally need to create a university yeah. in your business yeah. and you say, "Hey, we you, we hire you on as a freshman, you know, and you can stay a freshman for as long as you want. But if you want to become a junior or, or if you want to become a sophomore, here's a, a list of curriculum you have to take." In pass right and that's and if you want to by the way if you want to race that's how you get it too so it's like here's this path of growth for yeah. you right sweet yeah. now you're now you're a sophomore aka assistant general manager yeah. right you want to be a junior well, now you go through this curriculum, right? <laughs> hey, yeah. now you're now you're a general now you're a general manager, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to show people the paths of growth, and this that's like the front of house, and it's the same for back of house. Like you can grow here. Here's the path. I'll show you. I'll, I'll fucking put a spotlight on the path for you, mm-hmm. and here are the steps you take to grow within our organization. Yep. Does that sound familiar?
1: I mean, that is exactly and and interesting. We've learned from it a little bit, so we have that, and. But what we found was some people we call it some people just want to cut the french fries. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong in, with that. But they but the people who are cutting the french fries says I need a raise. So early on we'd say okay but you need to take this class or take that class and they're like well I don't want to take those classes I just want to cut the french fries. So we need people to cut the french fries. The, so the world so needs french fry countries. Yes. So it's like you we have to recognize we had to recognize and we had to pivot from all right not everybody Wants to advance in that way, you know. What I mean, some people just are okay with what they are doing, and that's like, okay, that's okay.
0: I think you know it's important to recognize that not everybody's the same. Some people just want they have different values in life. Their values in life are maybe keeping right. a simple life intentionally, right. absolutely, because they know that that the life can be a trap, right? <laughs> so you keep your life simple and you stay happy, and yeah. there's nothing wrong if that's for you, right? Yeah. yeah. How do you reward that person and, and keep them with you?
1: They have to have some sort of increase, you know, because, you know, obviously right now, you know, I mean, it's just things get more expensive. And there is a value to someone who's coming in and doing something consistently well every day, you know, as opposed to thinking, well, that's your job. Well, okay, it is their job, but there is a value to having that done really well every day. So we have to you got to pay for it because that's what they're interested in. there and in, they want the cash yeah you know
0: so how do you find that balance of uh rewarding people for i guess the word would be um, loyalty right yeah but also recognizing that like you need to grow personally to be able to earn that increase in cash like you don't just time with us isn't the only thing that dictates your cash flow
1: yeah i mean i th- i think time definitely starts 'Cause we would we'd would find we would lose people. Yeah. Okay. Uh and so I'm like, okay, I'd rather not lose them and Because then so, you have to
0: train somebody to do and that costs yeah, money.
1: Yeah. So we just had to we just have to recognize that there's two types of people, you know what I mean? And we're gonna have to pay for both types.
0: Okay. Beautiful. Uh, Thank you for getting to the details with that. So Mm -hmm. we talked about training was one evolution. So Mm -hmm. uh, these different steps you took, what else, what were the, some of the different things that you weren't doing say in 2011, but with your scale, with your growth, as you evolved as an organization, we needed to add appendages
1: on, you know, I mean, I think you start talking about employee benefits and things like that. As we get bigger, um, there's, there's obviously all those things that, you know, I'm really big on, like, I want to like add, like, Fitness type stuff. I think the world has gone from, you know, you get off from work and you go pound the alcohol till 3 a.m. And, you know, it's like, okay, those days are over. It's like, hey, let's, let's create a more, a better work life. You know, let's, let's, you know, hey, we'll set up, we'll pay for your training, whatever, so you can get in shape. You know what I mean? And that's huge, you know, and, obviously all the benefits, all the, you know, maternity leave and all that for female workers. Um, cause we know workers
0: too nowadays. Yeah, exactly. You, you know?
1: know, like, yeah, keep going. <laughs> I mean, it's like when you think about it, like what I noticed after pandemic and all that, like the, it, one of the biggest segments that didn't come back to work were females. And they're like, it's just not worth it. You know? So, that's something we, you know, so people have had to come to me. Katie had to come to me and she said, Fort, you got to do better. You got to do better with maternity leave, you know. You got to do better with that, you know. It's like we have maternity leave, but that means I got to use all my vacation for yeah, it. There wasn't you know a lot to, to do
0: during the pandemic. I can yeah, see exactly. why and that made exactly. people came back. Um, so how did you do better? What did that evolution for you look like?
1: Just us looking at like, hey, how do we be a better employer how do we do what we say we're going to do you know sometimes you kind of lose focus you know as you start growing too it's hard this
0: has been a big part of what i've learned on the show Uh, people like you look at maslow's hierarchy of needs right i always Mm -hmm. go back to maslow Mm -hmm. but your first you know you need you need security your your physiological needs i need food and shelter then you need security i need to feel safe and then you need to be seen yeah and you've done that with giving people growth and opportunity but beyond that, people need to feel like they're growing and evolving yeah. and becoming better versions of themselves. And that's what you're getting into, wellness and uh, these benefits, right? Um, you, you just got to feed those higher needs, right?
1: I, I mean, I definitely think that's fine. But I think at the end of the day, restaurant people, we when we were growing, we were, you would get a flood of staff. People wanted to work with a company that is growing, you know? And when you slow down, people leave and then not as many come so so there has to be growth and, and creative growth and different types of growth like we talk about you know our two sides so so we're right now we're rebranding jct into a whole nother restaurant so that's gonna spark we haven't done something like that at that caliber of a restaurant in a while we've done a lot of casual stuff for for a while um so that kind of stuff will re inspire people to all right hey they're growing let's 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 see what they're doing you know so People want to grow, you know, so we have to be able to give it it to them. It's not
0: just growth in their careers, too. It's growth personally. I think that if you recognize that. So, hey, like it's not enough to give an employee a paycheck. If you can give them a paycheck and say, Hey, here's how you take what we just gave you and you 10x it. Yeah. Like you give them lessons on fiscal responsibility yeah. on how to invest. And it's you, you provide these opportunities for people. I think um Rachel, uh, her last name's escaping me from Empire Pizza in Oklahoma City. They they do they have like quarterly like fiscal classes where they teach people how to be how to like manage mm. their checking accounts and mm-hmm. how to have cash flow management, then they do like wellness retreats where they get together and they, they get discounts with the yoga studios in the city to like, for their employees to go grow personally Mm -hmm. and meant like uh, for your body health and wellness and all this stuff. But they, they invest in their team and they provide just like we create verticals within your growth within our industry. We create verticals outside of the, the, the restaurant for your personal growth. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you doing things similar to that?
1: I wouldn't say – what we did recently is not necessarily teaching them about that kind of thing, but for our leadership, we just rolled out this plan because we don't have a 401K, but we rolled out a plan that – contributes 10% of their salary. They don't have to put any money in. We take 10% of their salary and we put it into these individual funds for them that over time they'll have access to. So over 10 years, we're dropping, say they make 100 grand a year, we're throwing, we pay 10 grand and put it into this fund on their behalf. So it's theirs. And then they vest into it so that they have some sort of retirement. Yeah. But they don't have to contribute. They don't have to add anything. They don't have to put any money in and we're just giving it to them. Yeah. So we're talking
0: a lot about growth and creating growth for your your team, and most people listening to this are probably thinking about I'm creating growth for my servers, for my cooks, for my my general, my my assistant general managers, my met, my general managers. But when you reach this level, you have different roles. You're talking about yeah. all these different people that come in, like <laughs> your c level and different leadership roles, right? Yeah. How does this apply? Is, is is it different for leadership roles, or is how have you evolved the leadership? Levels, I guess. Is that a good question? did, you, did Yeah, I mean, up I don't on know. Out?
1: okay, cool. I, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's really changed a ton, other than more from uh, corporate. I would say we are very talent focused, as opposed to um, just specific, like like you know a lot of companies have um okay you are over this region okay we don't really do that we do more like hey you are talented in this skill set so we send you wherever that skill set is needed mm. um so they're almost like little mercenaries i guess as Toby calls them so that was his his ideas like hey as opposed to create all these regional people we're going to create people with certain Natural talents who are really good. Like one guy I'm looking at right now is great at maximizing sales from the front door perspective, whatever, or whatever perspective. That's, that's where his, that's where his natural talent lies. So, so we send him all over the place and it's just results after results after results. And, and one, one of our guys is like just in inspiration you know the of the experience and we sit whenever yeah. anywhere's dragon we send him there you know so um, instead of
0: trying to recreate these roles all over the place yeah. you find one person who is a ninja mm-hmm. and a specialist and you say okay we need we're we're sliding over here where you're a ninja go there and bring yeah. them back up yeah and then I love that. Um, so, man, I, I'm looking at the clock, dude. We've been talking mm-hmm. for over an hour and a half now, and I've been loving this conversation. And we had to think about wrapping it up. And I like to echo my mission statement here at Restaurant Unstoppable to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Definitely inspiring. Definitely mm-hmm. empowering today's conversation. But in the terms of transformation, let's start with you. How have you transformed? Who is Ford Fry today versus Ford Fry in 2007 when you were a first-time owner restaurant tour?
1: Oh, Fort Fry's older, (laughs) white hair. Um, So I I didn't know where I was going, you know, back when I first started. Now I know where I'm going. Um, And nothing has changed when it comes to this is not all about me. I said it in a a speech one time or a talk one time I did where I said the day that this becomes all about me is the beginning of the end. So Mm -hmm. I am waiting for that. I wish I could go in a time machine. I'm waiting for, I, I want to be able to look back and I want to see the impact that this company has made on our staff's family life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've just recently we had a, you know, Drew, our our chef, just took it. We, we just paid for him to take his family to uh, Italy, And he went to Italy and I'm looking at pictures and I'm seeing his wife and his kids. And it's like, not only are we responsible for Drew, but what we do impacts his family, impacts yeah. his wife and his kids. And those are people that aren't even in our business. Yeah. So we impact so many more people than just our staff. Yes. And it's like, that is so rewarding for yes. me. So I'm just, I, I'm just dying for that day just to kind of look back and just see all these pictures and see all these... These examples of us, you know, being able to better someone's life, yeah. you know, to, to, to like kind of like distill what you just shared with me and how I
0: interpret it is that you you are much more conscious now and you're yeah. aware of where you're going and the impact. And I think that this is something that's happening across the globe, um, I think this is conscious capitalism. You're, you're conscious, you're aware, you're aware of your impacts and how you, you're aware of your actions and how your actions impact yeah. everyone who touches your business. Yeah. And I think we're going through this evolution as a society right now where yeah. we're saying, man, it's not about how much money can I make and how can I beat the guy or girl next to me. It's about how can I make as much people as possible win. And I'm so freaking excited for the future because the word is getting out, man. And I think, we can, I think we can literally transform the world we live in. I don't think we need to rely on government to come in and create regulations to make sure people are being taken care of. But we can freaking do it on our own. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of sharing information, sharing values and perspective like this that's going to make that happen. And on this note of inspire, empower, and transform, where are we as an industry today? And where would you like to see the industry in the future? Where How, how can we go into the future consciously like you've evolved and, and now like you're conscious. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I mean, I think we, the industry took a, a, a big hit, I would say to in the face. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Recently. That's and, to put it. <laughs> and what it is, I, cause I, we we're trying to figure out, we were trying to figure out like, where did everybody go? And then you would hear people would say things like, it's just not fun anymore. And I'm like, wow. Okay. That really resonated with me. And it's like, this industry is supposed to be fun, you know, it is supposed to be exciting and it's, and so where I wanted to go is say, Hey, don't, don't, you know, diss the industry. The industry is amazing and is, it's not going to go anywhere. The pendulum is going to come back, but how do we make it better? There are a lot of things that have come up that are just like, you know, Cooks, you know, making less than whatever a server, whatever. There, there are ways that the industry has to recalibrate, you know. So I'm, I'm kind of excited for that, you know. It's like we got to recalibrate so that everyone uh, succeeds. Now, the sad part is, I think that what's going to happen is, is, is who's going to pay for it? Is, is the consumer <laughs> the consumer i think is gonna have, have you to listen to this it. podcast before? <laughs> no i haven't i haven't but the consumer is gonna have to pay for it and they're gonna have to get you know we get reviews now that just says um it, they charge too much for that i'm like you know what bye bye you know what we've i mean?
0: never charged enough for this yes exactly yeah that's and i think there's we went through a weird just like uh, the food system went through a weird period over the past 60 or 70 years basically after world war ii right we started looking at food differently. I think, I can't remember the specific numbers, but I think people, the average household income spent over 20% of their income on food (laughs) Mm -hmm. today. That number is like, maybe it's going back up because more people are eating out, Mm -hmm. but at a period, not that long ago, it was like less than 10%, 9%. And it's because food became so accessible. It became centralized. It became shit too, you know, (laughs) And and we, and we started paying the benefits of that. How many people today can't eat bread? you know what i'm saying yeah. and that's because we t- twisted the food system yeah. and we've and when we twist the food system we twist the earth yep. you know and we're starting to now see the results of yep. our our twisted way of living yeah and it's up to dude the restaurant industry as long as it as long as it has existed has transformed communities. Mm We were the central point of communities Mm -hmm. and we got away from that. And I think we need to go back to it and say, it's time for us to put our foot down and say, consumer, we've been reacting to you for too long. It's time for you to react to us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think you see that. Like I'm, I I just read an article or, um, I think about New York restaurants, like, I mean, the demand for getting in some of these restaurants is huge. So I don't know what's going on, but, but uh, you know, they are, backed up months and months on reservations, but there's a huge demand to eat out. You know, I just hope once we start getting prices where they need to be, um, that that demand holds, what needs to happen internally within
0: the industry. How do we, how do we get this message out? How do we get people aligned? Because I don't think it can just be one restaurant. Because you know, I think everybody has to be on board. Because we'll just start undershooting each other, right, and competing against each yeah. other. So how do how do we shift from me against you to we against the world?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's just going to happen naturally. I think restaurants that are, in order to survive, um, it's prices are going to go up. You know what I mean? And if those who don't increase the prices probably won't survive, you know, yeah. or they're going to cut quality and then they're not going to survive either. So yeah. it's like, you know, you can't and yeah. I don't know, you know, so I just think it's got to happen organically, yeah. you know, and hopefully it'll won't take too long.
0: I think there's a lot of echoing in the, the world and especially in our industry today with the, the new, the youngest generation of workers coming and being like, you know, kind of being entitled is the word that yeah. gets thrown around. Yeah but I, I think there's a good side of this because it's forcing for the first time they're saying, no, like I'll go, I'll go do Uber share or I'll yeah. do Like I'll do something else. I don't need <laughs> you until you take care of me yeah. and we're feeling the pain in the industry. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's, there's a good, it's a good thing because it's forcing us to to be like the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's your answer. Yeah, yeah. You agree. So anything that did not come out of today's conversation that you were hoping would come out of today's conversation.
1: No, I mean I think that was I think that I mean we hit it. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it easy to talk when it's just what comes out natural, it's you know. It's crazy it's
0: been an hour and 40 minutes. We're yeah. not done yet. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. Recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often Fred Langley CEO of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the restaurant systems pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. P. That's R-S-P for Restaurant Systems Pro RestaurantUnstoppable.com Slash R-S-P We're back and the first question I have for you Is what is your it factor A habit, a trait A characteristic you believe
1: Most contributes to your success I'll say it again Fine is not fine I love it and What is your biggest weakness I can't Don't know how to say no
0: fine is not fine. Wait, no, no, that would be different. Sometimes the, the, <laughs> we,
1: the strength is a weakness, but that oh, would wow. be different.
0: You don't know how to say no. Yep. Um, get into that. How does that hurt you?
1: I, I want to do, I, I say yes, I want to do everything because I, I'm overly optimistic. So I feel like I take everything as a challenge. Yeah. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team, when you're creating opportunity for people? I ask them where they want to go. Mm. That's important for me. I need to know where they want to go and if I can get them there. Mm, I like that. Uh, What is your biggest challenge today? Challenge is always uh, disseminating the culture, you know, making sure that what is important to me translates through our leadership into translates all throughout the, business, if that makes sense. How are you overcoming that? Having serious, honest conversations when I find people who are not, if I'm treating someone a certain way and they are benefiting from that and they turn around and they treat someone in an opposite way, I will call them like, I don't get mad, but that's when I will get mad. I said, listen, I did this for you and you're not Doing that for your people.
0: Yeah. Now it's time for you to turn around. That's a problem. And yeah. 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 Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team a core value, a way to be?
1: I love blame free environments. It's not about blame. You know, it's about, hey, what went wrong? All good. Yeah. How do we move forward?
0: think another way to say that is extreme ownership. It's not about, absolutely do this. It's yeah. it. if this
1: happens it's because yeah. of me.
0: Let's find a solution. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something that's common throughout your restaurants to go above and beyond, but not common throughout the industry.
1: <laughs> I don't know that I have one of those. Um,
0: I think the service to your staff, the service to your team. I think that it it ripples.
1: Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like more, I would say, servant leadership. Yeah. You know, that's not so common. Mm-hmm.
0: What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner?
1: All right, we've said a few of them, but I'm going to throw another one out there. Please. The Experience Economy.
0: The Experience Economy. The Who's exper- the author? Do you know?
1: I forgot his name. What's it about? It's about the history of um, products and uh services you know amongst the past and how we have grown from we started a all right we started off like okay model t we, we built a ford and it's for this to not only are we building products now but we're creating experiences people want experiences in when they're buying something or if they're going to a car wash they want an experience at the car wash yeah. you know what i mean yeah
0: we were just talking about this yesterday uh we're like the the future there's so much retail space today. And I think one of the issues with the restaurant industry is that one of the few things that works in retail space today is restaurants. And there's so many restaurants as a result of that because you have these developers (laughs) who are just throwing money to put something into the space so they can have rent, right? Yeah. Um, But as a result, there's so many restaurants. Yeah. And what, what do you think the solution is? Is there a new vertical of like retail Experience And where I'm going with this is experience-based. Like I think the restaurant industry is evolving beyond food and more into uh, creating experiences for people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what, what are you doing to be a part of that?
1: I mean, I've always looked at it that way. You know what I mean? I've always looked at it, and I didn't know about this book until Smith said, hey, you should read this book because the book talks about everything that you're talking about. Yeah. And then I kind of peruse through the book a little bit. I'm like, it's exactly it. And it's about intangible experiences that you may not even know. Like, for instance, like we will throw, you know, lemon heads um, at the front door of a restaurant, you know, that are free and um, that people can just take. And um, there's little intangible thing. Like, like, okay, the check presenter is like, is it the free one that American Express sends you? That's like little plastic little book, or is it a piece of leather that feels really good, or is it a piece of like a little Saint, whoopey, you know the the,
0: the checkbooks or the the wine yeah. books that you guys have at yeah. Saint uh, Celia? Yeah, I love those things. <laughs> I wanted to take one home with. You. So these are these are like <laughs> in,
1: these are things that people may not uh, pinpoint, but it'll stick subliminally a little bit. So <laughs> you is, know, is
0: there going to be a Ford fried? series of uh escape rooms in the future oh my gosh no <laughs> no those are too hard are you right <laughs> all right the next question i have for you is what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough um servant lead yeah uh what is one piece of technology your restaurant group sorry i used the word mm-hmm. uh has the g uh, word yeah has uh adopted or implemented to improve communication efficiency technology or uh, profitability anything along those lines
1: we have i'm trying to remember the name
0: what is it maybe i can help you
1: basically it is a system that takes all of our social media scores and compiles it into one
0: like a dashboard
1: it's kind of like that i don't i know compete is a big part of our software thing but i don't know if it's i can't remember the name of the the we can probably add it somewhere later, but um, it basically takes all the Yelp scores, the Google scores and all that. And it comes all together into one and then you can read them and it scores you on a scale from one to five, five being high five stars. Um, and that's important for me. And we, in, we adapt that and we actually bonus our staff based on their scores, the scorecard. Yes. Yeah. So Scorecards like, our, so a five star and a four star is good. A three is neutral. And two and one are bad.
0: Yeah, this is a big part. I'm a huge advocate of uh, the entrepreneurial operating system created by uh, Gino Wickman, the folks over at Traction. I don't know if you're familiar Mm -mm. with that, but um, they talk about the importance of a scorecard. You need to measure your success. And that sounds like a great tool to do that.
1: Um, Yeah, it's um, one tool. Yeah, for sure on that side. And
0: um, you mentioned compete too.
1: Compete. So the good thing about my job is I've, you know, all these things have kind of come in as I've kind of adopted my era area of more of the visionary, you know, and compete is more in the operation side as far or more from the CFO side of bringing everything together. P and L's numbers yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: like profit. Yep. Like, well, how are we doing? On that I just front? pull them
1: up and read them now.
0: Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. So that's your favorite feature Um, with, with that is just the, the access that the data. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, okay. This is the last question. We made it to the end, man. You were great. Uh, and this is a doozy. So get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces
1: of wisdom be? One is to treat your staff as your, your most valuable asset. um, okay. Two is fine. It's not fine. Get better yep. every day. And three is uh, how is the experience? You know how what makes your experience better, more unique, and um, more memorable. Yeah,
0: I've loved this conversation, Ford. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Uh, you've been great. And uh, I found you by asking a past guest to call somebody out. Yeah. Uh, who do you respect? In the industry if you can't just think of one name i know it must be hard give me a list of people a couple of people that you think are doing it right uh you're impressed by and you think need to be made an example of
1: you know i think who would be interesting and i was just in austin for the austin food and wine festival and i ran into a couple of friends of mine um uh love austin by the way the the owners of mixley mixley yeah so rico um And Diego, these two guys from San Antonio, and they, I would say they're very opposite of me when it comes to our um, restaurant format. They're fairly fine dining, and I think they created their first restaurant in, like, a train car. Wow. Um, And now they're moving into the next space. So these guys are these guys have done it all on their own. They probably didn't have that lucky family member, you know, and I think they'd be an interesting ad and, um, are just great, great guys. You know what I mean? I think I had, now that you mentioned, it, I had Diego on the show. They're on San
0: Antonio, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the fine dining, uh, prefix meal. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. Mexican. Uh, yeah, Awesome. Awesome stuff. I would love to get them back on the show though. Cause I okay. agree that they're doing stuff really. They're, they're getting creative. They're turning. I mean, we have been so, I guess the word is guilty over the years of seeing what, what people have done before us learning, coming up and seeing this is how you do it and just recreating what people have done before us. Cause that's mm. the way to do it. But what you're seeing now is people are coming into this industry and saying, why do we have to do it that way? Yeah. Like we're, we're changing, we're, we're changing, we're, we're challenging the status quo We're we're thinking of different business models and different ways to be successful. And it's a very exciting time. Yeah. Beautiful. You've been great, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and your knowledge before we say goodbye. How can we connect if we have thought your story is great? Um, we're inspired by you. Maybe we want to come work with you and grow with you. What's the best way
1: to connect? Man, I would say, grab me on Instagram, you know, at Ford fry at F O R D F R Y. You know, I love it. I read all my, I read my, um, direct messages. Um, I'm looking, you know, if I don't reply, I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like what you said. Uh, but that doesn't happen too often. Um, uh, but I'm engaged, you know, it's me doing it. And, uh, so, uh, definitely let's chat. Beautiful. Thank you so much for it. Uh, there is no questioning.
0: You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thanks. Cheers. Thank you so much. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Ford Fry, getting into detail, really opening up and sharing some great advice with us. Uh, such great stuff came from today's chat. Thank you so much. And if you are enjoying this podcast and you want more like it, we can't do it alone we're trying to take this thing to the next level we need your support one way you can support the show an easy way you can support the show and i'm going to give you if you do this favor for me i'm going to give you a list of my 10 most impactful episodes and this is all you have to do head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 947 we're going to have a link to take a survey in there it's 10 questions 10 simple questions it takes less than 60 seconds and if you help us understand who you are, how many restaurants you have, uh, you know, where you are in the journey of your, your restaurant tour life cycle, your title, it's, it's stuff like that. That's the kind of information we're looking at so we can help our sponsors better understand who's listening to the show. And if we can do that, uh, that would be so helpful. Like I said, we need your support. This is one simple thing you can do to help us get the show to the next level. And, uh, if, you don't feel like going to the show notes right now, what you can do is on Instagram, we're going to actually, we've already linked to this survey right in our link tree. So either go to Instagram, go to our the show notes page for today's episode, and you'll find that survey right there. And thank you in advance. Other ways you can support the show, you can support our sponsors. Use the sponsors that are promoting the show. Uh, and use our links Uh, also use any tool or service that was recommended organically on the show sometimes we have affiliate links in there which means we earn a commission if you use our links and you can spread the word about restaurant unstoppable to everybody and anyone you know aspiring to be a better version of themselves Uh, just those simple acts alone go such a long way and uh, before i say goodbye i also want to Tell you that we're taking Restaurant unstoppable Network to the next level. Uh, we're basically inviting all of our key uh experts, pros, to make themselves available for you in the network regularly. So if that sounds interesting, head over to restaurantstoppable network.com. And we can't say goodbye without saying thank you to Jared Parisi at Sumadre Podcast for the copy writing and the editing of the audio and Sam from Savinsam.com for the videography and social media takes an army. I'm grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.